That comes from Job's friends. As they, the best thing they ever did was just sit with them and be quiet, amen? But uh, the book of Job, many commentators believe that it is probably the oldest book chronologically in the Bible, and there are very good reasons for that. There's no mention of the nation of Israel. There's no a Mosaic law. There's no kings, no prophets. And uh, so, again, most believe Job was probably a contemporary of Abraham. We don't have 100% certainty on that. But in verses 1 through 10, we have the introduction of Job's life. And uh, it tells us quite a bit about Job. It says uh, there in, in verse number 1 that he was perfect and upright. Now, don't get nervous. You read that, and sometimes you see that word perfect in the Bible, you say, well, wait, nobody's perfect. Again, well, the word perfect means mature. He was somebody that was mature, somebody that was walking. And the fact that he was upright meant, it didn't mean he just got up every morning, it meant that he was living his life in a mature way, properly before the Lord. And so he was perfect, and it tells us why he was perfect and upright. In, in the next, uh, right at the end of that verse, it says, why? Because he feared God and eschewed evil. Can I give you some practical advice, Christian? If you would just live your life fearing God, knowing that you're going to face him one day, and eschewing, what is eschewing evil? It means just shunning it. Just, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't care if everybody else does that. You can even get to this way. I'm not going to be so much judgmental of the way everybody else runs their life. That's fine. But for me, I'm just not going to do that because I fear the Lord. You will live a successful Christian life. Just doing those two things. So Job, he, he was perfect. He was upright. He feared God. He eschewed evil. He was from the land of Uz. Uz is mentioned in Jeremiah 25.20 and Lamentations chapter 4, verse 21. We know that he had ten children, seven sons, and three daughters. Uh, Brother Dean, you'll meet Pastor White tonight. If you haven't met him, he has seven sons and three daughters. Amen. Uh, he was obviously a very prosperous man. It tells us about his, his sheep and camels. And, and uh, something else I think that's interesting, if you look at verse number five, he was somebody who was concerned with his children's spiritual welfare. What does it say there? It says, uh, It was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, Job said and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Now their feasting wasn't anything improper. There wasn't anything wrong with what they were doing. But it says, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, so he offered burnt offerings. That just tells you what kind of a father Job was. Loved his children. He wanted God's best for them. And so, and something else we see a little further down about Job, and we're going to get into it, is if you look at verse 10, Satan here is accusing, and it's interesting, we'll, we'll talk about that. He's accusing God, and he's really accusing Job to God, but he says, Hast not thou made, and what, church? Hedge about him. So, this man, Job, he was mature, he was upright, he feared God, he eschewed evil, he had, uh, was from the land of us, had ten children, he, he was prosperous, he was the greatest of the men of the East, he was concerned with his children's spiritual welfare, and he had God's hedge of protection around him. And Satan came into God's presence and accused Job. It's very interesting. I'll tell you this. If you do a study, I've preached on it, Brother Dean. If you'll do a study on the words of Satan that you find in the Word of God, they're in Genesis 3, Job 1, and Matthew 4 and Luke 4 are parallel passages. You will find in Genesis chapter 3 that Satan accuses God to man. In Job chapter 1, you will find that Satan accuses man to God. And in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, we find Satan accusing the God-man, Jesus Christ. He's a slanderer. He is the accuser of the bread. That's all he does is slander and lie. And so here, <clears throat> Satan means to insinuate 
That Job's piety, that we've, we've talked about him fearing God and eschewing evil, walking uprightly, being mature, that Job's piety, or how he's living his life, is wholly selfish and will vanish as, far, as soon as he finds that it ceases to bring him reward or earthly good. You know, the sad thing about that, Uncle Joe, is for some believers that is 100% true. If God were to take away all the material blessings, many people would curse God to his face. And many people have. May God help us not to serve him for what we can get out of it, but simply because of all he's done for us and because we genuinely love him. God does not always bless his servants with prosperity. You are looking at somebody today who is not a prosperity preacher. By the way, I believe in biblical prosperity. But God doesn't always bless people with wealth and goods and things like that. Think of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> you ought to read Paul's prosperity list in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. <laughs> a night and a day in the deep, three times smitten with rods, amen, stoned to death, all the things that happened to Paul. And he never had two nickels to rub together. He depended on the offerings of the churches to take care of him. And the devil accuses Job's character to God. And furthermore, he accuses God of keeping a protective hedge around Job that keeps Satan from proving who Job really is. I'd like to speak a little bit about this hedge by way of introduction today before we get into the meat of the message. It's very easy for people to see both biblically and experientially that God does have a hedge of protection many times around his children. Just let me give you a few verses. I'll just throw them at you. Uh, 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. Psalm 41, verse 2. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. He will not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. Psalm 125, verse 2, As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, the Lord is round about his people from henceforth forever. Remember when Jacob traveled back to Bethel and Laban was coming to do him harm? By the way, those of you that know your Bible, if ever two people were meant for each other, it was Jacob and Laban. I'm telling you, they were both scoundrels. Amen. And they scoundrelized each other. And, and Laban was chasing after Jacob. And it says in, in Genesis 35 verse 5, And as they journeyed, the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. Remember when the spies came into Jericho in Joshua chapter 2? And, and they came to Rahab. And, and Rahab, you remember, hid the spies and lied about them. Remember what Rahab said? She said, We have heard what the Lord done. And, and the terror struck us. You know what that is? God's hedge. God's hedge. Hey, I think about when Israel traveled. Remember how they traveled by the cloud by day? And by the pillar of fire at night. And you remember when Egypt wanted to come and take them over? What stood between them? That pillar. And you know what it was? God's hedge. God's hedge, amen. Oh, I think about different times in our lives where we can think about God's hedge. You know, again, more scripture. Hey, how about the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace? In Daniel chapter 3. The, the hedge, that, by the way, the hedge there was God himself. The Son of God, amen. And I think about Daniel and the lion's den, those hungry, ravenous lions, and they threw them in there. Why didn't they eat them? God's hedge. God's hedge. Somebody said he was too old and full of gristle. No, it was God's hedge. God's hedge, amen, of protection. Biblically, we could see that God has a hedge of protection around his children. But again, I mentioned this also. I think experientially, each one of us has probably experienced God's... Have you ever been... Have you ever been at a stoplight? And I don't know if, if you're like me. Dr. Malone, who were Brother Dean and I went to Bible college, Dr. Malone had the greatest, I believe, analogy on the twinkling of an eye when the rapture is going to happen, how quickly it's going to happen. He said, here's the illustration of a, twink, of a twinkling of an eye. He said, you're at a stoplight, 
and it turns green, and before you can get your foot off the accelerator, or off the brake onto the accelerator, the person behind you is blowing their horn. That is the twinkling of an eye. Amen? But how many times have we, for some reason, hesitated at a green light, drop, drop your phone, you know, whatever it is, you spill your coffee, you stop for just a second, and then a truck barrels through the intersection. What is that? God's hedge. I, I promise you, I think some of us, when we get to heaven, that our, the angel that is assigned to us, and I, I believe biblically that that's a fact, the angel that assigned to us is going to slap us <laughs> and, and show us, Brother Ken, his complete lack of any fingernails that he has because he said, you drove me crazy, amen. I had to push this and move this and, and keep you from, you know, because God told me to put a hedge of protection. Hey, I think about that. I, I remember, again, another one of our instructors, Dr. Phil Tharp, he used to say this. He used to say, if God ever lifted his hand or hedge of protection from you uh, for just a second, you'd be nothing more than an oil spot on the ground because Satan would kill you as fast as he could. How many times could we say if I'd gone right instead of left? Or if I hadn't been delayed for a few seconds? Or if I hadn't been sick that day? Just recently, my, my wife and my boys and I, we watched a, a documentary on 9-11. And, uh, you know, a person said, I, I got sick that day. I couldn't fly. You know, you think about things like that. Amen? And... Uh, the hedge of protection. I think about Job here. We see, a, first of all, just a hedge of protection around his being just by way of introduction. Uh, Satan says, Hast not thou made an hedge about him? You know, Lord willing, this afternoon you're going you're to have some, some food. And again, Lord willing, you'll drift off into what I call the Baptist coma. So what is that? That is unconsciousness. That's a Sunday afternoon nap. Unless you're Mr. Kelly, who does not take Sunday afternoon naps, amen. But if once, when you drift off into unconsciousness, aren't you glad there's a hedge of protection around you? There's a hedge about your being. I think about, I, I always, when my children were little, and I see, I see our little ones around here. And By the way, isn't it great to have a church with little ones? And by the way, forgive me, it's, it's, it's a blessing to have a church with seasoned older ladies. Notice I didn't say old ladies, Miss Judy. I would never say old ladies from the pulpit. I'd move right over here and say old ladies, amen. It is a blessing to have babies and old ladies to hold them. Yeah, it is, right. You look at that baby and you think that the hedge of God's protection around that little infant hedge around our being. But there's not only a hedge around our being, uh, there's a hedge around our buildings. Our buildings. Job 1.10, hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house? You know, Brother Ken's a lineman. He knows all about electricity. There's a lot of electricity running through this building right now, Brother Ken. Aren't you glad for God's hedge protection on this place? on your home. Amen. Not only being in buildings, but belongings, it says in verse 10. Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Ladies, all that junk that you wish God would strike for lightning that your husband has in the barn in the garage, I'm sorry, it's under a hedge of protection. <laughs> and touche for you ladies that are hoarders as well. Amen. <laughs> saying, Pastor? I'm saying we ought to be thankful for God's hedge of protection in our lives, in our children's lives, in the lives of those we love, in our church families' lives. However, back to our story. If you look at verse number 12, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, after he'd accused him, and said, Well, if you just let me at him for a little bit, we'll, we'll see who he really is. <laughs> And says, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Again, if you, if you know your Bible, you know, you know that there are three heavens. There are the heavens where the bird flies. There is the heaven, what we know of as space. And then there's the third heaven, and that is where God resides. 
So Satan, who is in God's presence, in a moment, moves out of God's presence. And we see what happens in verses 13 through 19. The Sabaeans kill Job's oxen and servants, and one messenger makes it out alive. Fire from heaven destroys Job's sheep and servants, and one messenger makes it out alive. The Chaldeans steal Job's camels and kill all the servants, and one servant makes it out alive. And then all of Job's children are eating. Again, they're feasting. This is not a sinful feast. It's not a drunken thing. They're just eating, enjoying the meal together, and the house falls in, and they all die, and one servant makes it out. What happened? What happened? The hedge was lifted. You know, when we read Hebrews chapter 11, and we did a, a series on it last year at the beginning of the year, you read some incredible stories of some incredible people. And, and by the way, you know how they did it all? By faith. Abraham, by faith. Joshua, by faith. You go, you go, Noah, how to build the ark? By faith. By faith. But then when you get to the very end, and it gives, again, it talks about David and, and Barak and Jephthah and these people that did incredible feats. It comes to the other spot and it says, and others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. They were sawn asunder. These people that would not recant their faith in Jesus Christ. And in essence, Brother Tim, the hedge was lifted. God, for reasons known only to himself, sometimes in life, lifts the hedge. Sometimes a baby dies in the womb. I have several ladies in our congregation that have experienced a miscarriage. It's devastating for a lady. And all God's ladies said, it's devastating. I think about Hannah. All she wanted was a baby. That's all she wanted. Sometimes, one of the greatest Christians you'll ever know succumbs to cancer. That makes sense. Sometimes, a great young person dies. And you think, my goodness, what do we do when this happens? We can learn some precious truths from the life of Job and what he did when the hedge is lifted. I'd like to look at four, four points today to help you. And, and listen, if, if you've not had the hedge lifted in your life, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Some of you have had the hedge lifted in your life. You know what I'm preaching is truth. And some of you, you don't know it, but you're going to have the hedge lifted in your life at some point. I promise you this message can help you today or it may help you tomorrow. The first thing I want you to notice with me is in verse number 20. What to do when the hedge is lifted. I first preached this message almost 20 years ago. It's been honed and shaved since, but <clears throat> it says, Then Job arose. So after Job got all this, this news from these four messengers, it says, Then Job arose, rent his mantle, or he tore his clothes, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground in what, church? Worshipped. Number one, what do we do when the hedge is lifted? Worship. Worship is a verb. We think of worship as this is worship. This is, this is, and again, there are parts of this that are, this is our Sunday morning worship service. But worship is the way you live your life and the decisions that you make in regards to that. By the way, these are important decisions to come to church, to corporate worship, to praise the Lord. Amen. But worship is what you do. 
Job worshipped at a time when most would crumble and we wouldn't fault anybody who did crumble. Lost all everything. Lost everything. But most of all, lost all ten of his children. I've said this before. Just imagine here at Loomis Park Baptist Church having to take out the first three pews and put them somewhere so we could accommodate the coffins of, of somebody with ten children who they all died at the same time. Job fell down and he worshipped God. I'll never forget November 28th, 2003. I was working a job at that time in Connecticut. My wife was in Arizona visiting uh, her, her aunt lives out there. And if many of you remember, my wife uh, several years ago went out there to take care of her aunt when she had cancer. The kids were little and uh, went out there for six to eight weeks and helped her through that. And such a blessing. She was out there visiting, and, and the day started off great. It was the Friday after Thanksgiving. And um, so it was one of those uh, uh, four-day weekends, Bro Hutchins, amen, where you, you got the long one, Thanksgiving, and then uh, moving on. And so my, da my dad and I, my dad was living at the time, and uh, I said, uh, hey, let's go get some breakfast. He had the day off, too. And uh, so we went out for breakfast, and then we went out to a Polish deli, and and uh, we got we, we I, I nestled in for what used to be my favorite game of the year, which was Nebraska and Colorado. It, it seems to have changed a little bit since then. I don't enjoy that game nearly as much as I I used to. But uh, I remember I just had my snacks, and just it was a day off, and you were glad to have a day off, and and uh, and my cell phone rang, and forgive me, please. I almost didn't answer it because it was my day off. I worked a full-time job, but I was also in youth ministry as well. And so, But I looked and I saw it was our Spanish pastor, Fred Robles, Marissa's dad, Miss Marissa's daddy. And I saw it was him, and I, I got on the phone. I said, hey, mi amigo, what are you doing? Amen. And he, his voice crackled, and he said, preacher, I don't know how to tell you this. He said, but Eric... Our pastor's son, who our son is named after, died in a car accident today. 18 years old. He was home from Midwestern Baptist College from Thanksgiving break. And he went around a curve, and it was a warm day, and it had been cold, and there was oils in the road, and he just slipped, and he, he sideswiped a tree, no side airbag, and he just broke his neck like that. The, the, the best kid I've ever known. And I, I remember holding the phone and saying, oh, no. And I said, where's the preacher? And he said, he's, they're at the house, and they want people to stay away, but they want you to come over. It was his assistant at the time. And again, Carrie was away. We didn't have any children. And I remember, you know, getting dressed quickly and, Driving it was about 20 to 25 minutes to get there, and of course praying. But then getting there and getting to this beautiful home that my pastor had built with his own hands, and pulling in the driveway and walking, walking up this walk, and and then and thinking of all the happy times I had walking up that walk. All the times we had enjoyed a Sunday meal or just laughed and fellowshipped one with another. And I remember thinking, Brother Dean, what am I going to say? Like, well, what to say? You know, I tell you this, pastors don't know what to say. Yeah. Well, pastors always got to know what to say. Well, welcome to real life. They don't always know what to say. We say, Lord, give me wisdom, and sometimes it's nothing. And that's what it was in this case. I rung the bell, pastor came to the door, and I just wrapped my arms around him and hugged him. I said, I'm so sorry. Mrs. Stark was there, just broken. First time I ever hugged my pastor's wife. I just leaned down and hugged on her, and she, she didn't have any strength to hug me back. All the kids were there. Lisa was 16, and Jessica was 15, and Joe was 12, and knew those kids from Nut and Acorn. I was their youth pastor. And just sat there and wept. And I asked him, I said, you, you know, 
would it be all right if I just stayed for a little while and just said, I don't need to do anything, but could answer the phone or uh, people come to the door? Well-meaning people. Yeah. Well-meaning people. Not wrong, but just to say, and, and basically what it was was all their family lived out here and we're in transit. 700 miles takes 12 hours no matter what. And so we stayed and I watched those precious people that had, at 22 years old, had gone out there and planted a church with that little boy that was lying cold in a casket. And I watched them. And they had a, a big Bible on the island in the kitchen. And every once in a while, they would walk over to that Bible. Broken-hearted husband and wife, broken-hearted parents, they would walk over to that Bible and they would read aloud from the text. And I, I distinctly remember two verses that they read. Distinctly. I don't think I'll ever forget it. They read Isaiah 40, verse 4. It says, Every valley shall be exalted. And every mountain and hill made low. The crooked places made straight and the rough places plain. And I remember hearing my pastor say, Honey, every valley shall be exalted. And then I remember them distinctly reading Isaiah 57 verse 1. The righteous perish and no man layeth it to heart. Merciful men are taken away. None considering the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. That God sometimes takes a young person away from the evil to come. I watched my pastor and his wife worship. I'm going to tell you this. I would, never, I would never criticize anybody for the way they acted during a time like this. But I can certainly compliment my pastor. Because I saw it with my own eyes. Of somebody who lost the dearest thing in the world to them and worshipped. You can worship when your world crumbles. You can still do right. You can, still, you can come to church even though you're a ball of tears and you've you got to come in late because you don't want to talk to anybody. You don't want to shake anybody's hand. You can still do the things that you're supposed to do, that God commands you to do in worship to Him. Job worshipped. Merrill Unger in his Bible dictionary says of this passage, he says, he displayed absolute dedication of himself to God as his world flew apart in calamity, stunned him almost to insensibility. He worshipped with the tokens of deepest penitence, submission, and humility as a wise man. Wise not because he understood the reason for his suffering, but because not understanding he maintained unswerving faith in God. When the hedge is lifted, you won't understand. You just keep trusting. Worship. Secondly, verse 21, he says, And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Number one, what, what to do when the hedge is lifted, Job worshipped. But secondly, he witnessed. So what do you mean witness? I mean, witnessing is when you, you take a Bible, or you take a gospel track, and you tell somebody they're a sinner, and then you tell somebody uh, that, that there's a payment for sin, and you tell somebody that Jesus loved them and made that payment, and you tell them that they can be saved. That's witnessing. Yes, it is. But this is a different type of witnessing. You say, well, what do you mean? How, how did Job witness? Well, there were four people in this house that came with bad news, worse news, worser news, and worstest news. Right? They're all there. Four, four guys out of breath watching to see how he was going to react. And Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the presence of these four people, after losing everything, Job witnesses as to God's goodness. 
as to God's generosity, as to God's graciousness, as to God's mercifulness, and as to God's sovereignty in his life. He basically said this, God is good, God did, God knew about this, God didn't fall asleep, and God didn't put a sign up that said out to lunch, God is good, blessed be the name of the Lord. Not long after my pastor's son was killed, we had the funeral, and he had worked at a supermarket. It would, it would kind of be our Polly's. Uh, it was called Big Y. It was a local supermarket there in western New England, and he worked there, and a couple of ladies came, and they had prepared um, a little book of memories that he had worked there for two years. He's actually in management at 18, just to tell you what kind of a kid he was. And um, they had put together this little memory book. And I'll tell you what, it's little things like that when people are grieving. Little things like that mean the world to people. They just, they really do. And it just, you know, I remember Eric doing this, and I remember his smile, and you know, all these things. And, and Pastor Tharp had, told me that Eric had, before he had left for Bible college, he had designs on witnessing to this lady that was, I guess, his boss. And so sure enough, they brought that gift over, and my pastor told them that all men are sinners and that there's a payment to be made for sin and that God loves you and Jesus made your payment. And if you'll trust him as your savior, heaven can be your home. And those ladies bowed their heads and trusted Christ right there in our pastor's home. Witnessed. You can listen to me. There is no argument for a tearful witness. We talked about it last night in our messages. Maybe the, maybe the reason I'm not a better witness, maybe the reason why each one of us is not a better witness is because, yeah, we go, we go and sow. We bear precious seed, but we don't weep. No weeping, no weeping. He worshipped. He witnessed. Look at verse 22. It says, In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. There's a lot of preaching in this verse. There really is. But if you're not careful, you'll miss those first three words. In all this. So what did he do? He worshipped, he witnessed. Thirdly, he waited. He waited. The Bible doesn't tell us how long that the period was between Job 1 and Job 42. We don't know. But we know that Job waited. I don't know about you, I hate waiting. <laughs> that just about rather, I'd rather have fingernails on the chalkboard than wait. Is the, you know, it, it, we're, we're typical American Christians, Brother Dean. We want patience and we want it right now. <laughs> I'm in the fast food line. If I'm in the fast food line for more than six minutes, I'm like, this is fast food? You know? <laughs> I think to myself. Oh, but, then, but then, you know, then the Thanksgiving turkey takes a day to cook, and you're like, wow, that's the most wonderful meal I eat all year. We're like, yeah, because you waited. Job waited. Romans 5.3 says, We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. James 1.2, and 4 rather, says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire. Just like Job, remember? Yeah. Wanting nothing, it says. I know, that's easy preaching and hard living. Right? When your world's been thrown completely apart. And by the way, for Job, it wasn't anything he did. Sometimes our world is thrown apart because of the decisions that we make. Yeah. But for Job, it didn't have anything to do with that. 
I watch my pastor and his dear wife and children wait on God. They continue to serve the Lord and they continue to do the things that need a little bit of help. He told me, he said, I want you to help me with this and help me with that. And, but I watched them as they, they waited. And The last thing we see is at the end of Job. You don't have to go there, but uh, in Job 42, verse 10, it says, And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. What we find out there is that not only did Job worship and witness and wait, but he walked on. He walked on. Too many people, too many people, when the world flies apart, they stop walking with God. I'm going to tell you what that is, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you can wear your steel toe shoes today because they're about to get stepped on. That's bitterness. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Bitterness is never person to person. It's person to him. It's the fact that he allowed that, that the omnipotent God allowed that or permitted that and instead permitted something in my life that I don't like. I believe the devil's temptation in Genesis chapter 3 when Eve was looking at the fruit was ye shall be as gods. I don't like what God did. Are you God? He walked on. Listen, when I watched my pastor, I saw him. And I think about this as we get older. I I slipped at man camp. Nobody saw this, thankfully. It was very embarrassing. I was going down this ramp. That little ramp there, Brother Hutchins. It was it was greasy. Had moss on it. And I slipped and I this foot went this way and this knee went back here. And oh my goodness, I was just like I'm sitting there just looking. And then of course as a man I went like this. You know? Make sure nobody saw that. Well that was on camera. That would have been a whoop and Today, Mr. Anderson, my footfall is a little slower. It's just a little slower because this, this knee hurts a little bit. You know, I'm like, okay, praise the Lord, I can move it, I can wiggle it a little, probably put some ice on it. But, you know, after you've experienced a tragedy, you may walk a little slower. Yeah. I've seen, you know, some of you precious seniors, you got your, you got your cane. Uncle Joe holding up his cane. You're not a senior, Uncle, man. We love you. But you, you, listen, you've got your cane, Brother Swaffer. I saw you and Mrs. Swaffer come in today. And your footfall's a little slower. Yeah. But you're still walking. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. You're still walking. My pastor said to me in that point in his life, he said, Richard, he's, him and his wife are the only ones in my life that call me Richard. My mother doesn't call me Richard. It's, just, it's a term of affection. It really is. He said, Richard, I read my Bible and I get nothing. This is your pastor saying this to you, Brother Joe. I read my Bible and I get nothing. And I remember God just give me good advice. I said, just keep reading. Keep reading. The light will shine through. Yeah. The light yes. of the world yes. will shine through. Yes. He worshipped. He witnessed. He waited. He walked on. Let me give you some applications. Some, and I'll, I'll throw these at you. It's just a little after 12 right here. Those who've not yet had the hedge lifted. If, you, if this is you, you've not yet had the hedge lifted. Remember this. Tragedies like triumphs will come and happen to good people and bad people. Yeah. Job said that to his wife one chapter later. He said, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord? And shall we not receive Evil. Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, it rains on the just and, the and on the unjust. The old, the old farmer, the old godless farmer next to the godly farmer, they had about the same plot of land and 
had planted the same corn after all these years. We planted, 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 and that old godless farmer, you know, kind of shook his hands and says, "You know, you take you take every Sunday off, and and uh, you you let that land rest every year. And my crops produce better than yours, and I always make a few more dollars than you do." And that godly old farmer said, "God don't settle all his accounts in October." Listen, it rains on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Vice versa. You got to know that. You got to know that before the hedge is lifted. Number two, and this is so important, ladies and gentlemen, your walk with God today will matter when the hedge is lifted. Your walk with God today, your faith in God. Just, it's not all about the goodies, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm thankful for blessings, I really am. But it's not all about the temporal things, it's about the fact that God saved my soul, He has a spot reserved for me in heaven, and I'm going to dwell with Him eternally when the hedge is lifted. The Bible says, cast thy bread upon thy waters, for thou shalt find it many days. In Ecclesiastes 11. What does that mean? That means sow today and reap tomorrow. It means read your Bible today because there may come a time where you have so many tears that you can't read it tomorrow. But your faith will be stronger as you go in. Your walk with the Lord today will matter when the hedge is lifted. And something else, it's just a practical thing. You love your family while you have them because at any moment... You could be robbed of one of them. I, I, I really do. I detest unforgiveness and bitterness. I've seen it in families. I've seen it wreck people. And I think to myself, if you were to lose that person tomorrow, a pastor friend of mine told me a story literally of a daughter who tried to climb in a coffin because she had ought with her mother for years and her mother died suddenly. That's too late. Today is the day to call mom or call brother or sister and say, you know what, this is stupid. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. for If, I, if I've hurt you, if I, I've harmed you, I, you know, I always think of it, I'm, I'm preaching, Lord willing, Lord willing, next week I preach on uh, a few good men about Paul and Barnabas and how they just, they, they got it wrong, Brother Dean. They got it wrong. These incredible Christians. And I always think of the story of the Dossler brothers. I've told it before. Uh, Adi and Ruda, and they were, they, were, uh, they were shoe manufacturers. One was the salesman, and one was the, the, the guy who made the shoes. And Jesse Owens wore their shoes for the Olympics. And they actually ended up having this family fight, and they split. And through it, two companies were born, Puma and Adidas. People wear Puma and Adidas shoes now. And literally, they're, they're buried at the opposite ends of the same cemetery because they couldn't stand each other for the rest of their life, over a silly dispute. You know what? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I found that out that day in November of 2003. This healthy, wonderful boy was laying cold on a slab. So if you've not had the hedge lifted, remember... Tragedies like triumphs come to good and bad people. Your walk with the Lord today will matter when the hedge is lifted. Love your family while you have them. For those who have had the hedge lifted, three things. You must allow yourself time to grieve. And don't let anybody put, don't let anybody put a stopwatch on that. that. That's nobody else's business. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to mourn. And some, for some, it's longer than others. And I remember, again... My pastor sitting at his desk and a dear lady came in and she met with him and she sat across the desk from him. This was 2004 after his boy had been gone just a few months and this lady said, Reverend Tharp, my boy was killed in an auto accident in 1957. And Brother Wally, he said, hot tears went down her face. Must allow yourself time to grieve. Secondly, some things cannot be explained this side of heaven. Try and wrap your head around some things about things that God does. We see through a glass darkly. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says. But here's something very, very important for those of you that have had the hedge lifted. 
you can control how you respond. If we learn anything from Job, and we can learn a lot from Job, we learn you can control how you respond. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. When his wife, who had every reason to say curse God and die, as she looked at him with boils from head to toe in chapter 2 after he lost everything, when even when his wife said that, he said, all this, he, charged, he, didn't, he didn't charge God foolishly. He controlled how he was. I tell that to my boys all the time. You can control how you respond. In a basketball game, sports, you got, you got to control how you respond. It's up for you to control how you respond. By the way, that is missing today. Fatherhood. Fatherhood is teaching our sons to control how they react, control their anger. And then lastly, for everybody, I'll, I'll throw these at We're right on time. Those who have had to hedge lift it, allow yourself time to grieve. Some things cannot be explained the side of heaven. You can control how you respond. To all of us, whether we've had the hedge lifted or haven't had the hedge lifted or one day we'll have the hedge lifted, to all of us, may we remember when the hedge is lifted that God is still on the throne. Amen. By Him all things consist. Colossians 1.17 says, what does that mean? That means everything is in order right now because there's a God who is in order. Secondly, God is still there. Further in Job, in Job 23, Job says, I, I, I feel behind me and I can't, I can't feel him. And I, I feel to the side and I, I can't see him, but remember what he said? But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You know what Job said? I know he's there. Even when it doesn't seem like he's there, especially when the hedge is lifted, you need to remember that God is there. God is still on the throne. How about this one? Especially when the hedge is lifted, God is good to his children. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good. Psalm 119, verse 68, Thou art good and doest good. That's good. That doesn't make sense. I know. That's why you've got to be reminded of it. Because there are times when it doesn't seem like he's good. God's good to his children. God's still there. God's on the throne. How about this one? God still knows what he's doing. He did get Job's attention, didn't he? In Job 38, 39, 40, 41. We'll read that sometime. Job, Job just got a little, forgive me, again, after all that time with his friends, Brother Dean, I probably would have done the same thing and probably sooner. He just got a little full of himself. And God said, let me ask you a question. Where were you when I made the worlds? Uh, do you, are you the one that holds the oceans back? Because I do that. Are you the one that works out the tides and the currents and put the moon in the right place? Because I did that. And he asks Job 82 straight rhetorical questions. And you know what Job does at the end of it all, Miss Vicky? He goes like this. I am so sinful. What is wrong with me? Listen, you got to read Romans 11:33, where it talks about in the wisdom of, of knowledge that God has. God still knows what he's doing. How about this one? God still has never made a mistake. I read that poem at, at funerals often. He maketh no mistake. I'm glad in my soul I know he maketh no mistake. As for God, his way is perfect. Psalm 18 verse 30 says. And I tell you this, if you need to know that God can still comfort you. He is the God of all comfort. Yes. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. And by the way, He comforts us so that we can comfort others as they go through the exact same trials that we go through. When I meet someone who's lost a young child, I say, I know a couple in our church, Bill and Judy Merrill, that lost a little boy. They can be a blessing to you. Be a help to you. And then, most of all, 
God's still on the throne. God's still there. God's still good to his children. God still knows what he's doing. God still has not made a mistake. God can come for you. But most of all, God's promises can still be trusted. That verse in Romans 8.28, if you, don't, if you mark your Bible, you, you should have that one marked, highlighted, red pen, circled, you know, uh, just any way that you can show it to come off the page. And that simply says this, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his word. It does not say all things are good because all things are not good. The fact is, when I was in Massachusetts, I went to the gravestone of Eric Tharp and just wiped it down and took, took care of it a little bit. And every time I go there, Uncle Joe, I think, this is not good. This boy, wonderful young man, should have a family, be serving the Lord somewhere. This is not good. But literally, and I have a picture of it, I took it while I was there this year. There was another preacher about 100 years earlier who passed away, Brother Hillman. And he lived his full life pastoring churches and all that. And he has a large, what do they call it, like an obelisk? Amen, the kind of a larger stone. And on that stone, Brother Dean, it literally has a Bible carved into it. And on one side, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things should be added unto you. And on the other side, it says, All things work together for good. And in the shadow of that stone, Brother Swaffer, is Eric Tharp's stone. What to do when the hedge is lifted? Worship. Oh, it's hard. You're right, Brother Bill. It's hard. It's hard. But you know what? If you don't, your heart will get hard. Worship. Witness. There will be people you'll be able to touch that you wouldn't be able to touch until the hedge was lifted. Wait. That's a tough one. And then walk on. There's a great, great song that Mosey Lister wrote it. Walk on, walk on for Jesus. Walk on in his name. You know, when I think about the hedge being lifted, I can't help but think of Ron Hamilton. Ron Hamilton. Out there on our book table are CDs for Patch the Pirate. If you've got little grandkids or little children, they should have Patch the Pirate CDs. Character lessons, all the things we learn in there. But you know what happened was Ron Hamilton got ocular cancer. Cancer of the eye. And he had to take his eyeball out. And then he had the, a patch on him. And one of the little kids in his church said, You look like Patch the Pirate. And sure enough, he took that and used it for God's glory. What to do when the hedge is lifted? Father, thank you so much for these thoughts, these simple.